I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, what a day we have just had, and for a number of quite weird reasons. Let's start with the introductions. I'm David Law. We've got uh, Catherine Whitaker in a bar in Paris at the moment, uh, hence uh, maybe a little bit of music that you can hear in the background. And we've got the whole team back together because Matt Roberts is here. How are you doing, Matt? Very well, thank you. Although, although it's all gone a bit wrong at the French Open since I left, hasn't it? Yes, it, it has a bit, hasn't it? Catherine, <laughs> what is going on at the French Open? You've had lots of matches. You've had three results, one match that hasn't finished. You've had rain, wind, you name it. You've had controversy. And uh, I don't really know where to start. But tell us, where, I mean, what time is it there as we speak to you now? What is the weather like outside? Well, it is a little after 8pm. It's uh, about 20 past 8 in the evening. And yes, it's disgustingly windy, as it has been for for most of the afternoon. But we could still be playing tennis in this weather. I am, I am sat... I'm not actually quite in the hotel bar. I'm in a tent-like structure attached to the hotel bar, which, as far as I can gather, is... A, is a sort of way that they have in Paris to circumvent the no smoking indoors rules. Right. Uh, okay. So it's very definitely an indoor structure, but that stinks of fag smoke. And okay. uh, it is delightful. Oh, lovely. Uh, but yeah, so I feel very in touch with the outdoors. I can feel, feel the wind blowing against the sort of flimsy plastic <laughs> of these exterior walls. And yeah, I mean, it's horrible. There's absolutely no part of my being that would want to be playing tennis uh, in these conditions. And uh, I feel quite sure that Novak Djokovic feels the same as do the rest of the people that were were playing today but tennis could be being played as we speak without question and yet it's not right well we'll get on to that uh, a little bit later let's let's do this chronologically We, we started the day if we think back to last night when you and Simon were speaking and then you you added a little on the end of of our podcast of last night to to tell us the WTA statement about the scheduling of today which put um the two women's semi-finals on effectively court two and three the Susan Longlong court and the Simone Mathieu court and 
it felt very much like a relegation, and that's what the WTA effectively said in their statement. We we were a little bit surprised that they didn't explain what their suggested solutions should have been um, because they said they'd got some. They ended up talking to Chris Clary in the New York Times and, and said that what they would have liked to have seen happen is both of the women's matches played at 11 o'clock on Chatrier and on Long Long with uh, the men's matches to follow on Chatrier and they feel that there was enough time to get those matches played. I haven't actually seen the duration of the Conta and Vondrasova match and the uh, the Barty uh, against the Nisimova match to, to be able to work that out. But I mean, in any case, I, I, that that was a suggestion that Steve Simon made. He said that that's the play they, they put towards the FFT and the organisers to try to, to have that as the schedule and that that was rejected. Amelie Moresmo uh, then came out on Twitter and said that she thought that that was a disgrace, that the scheduling decisions that, that had been taken um, and has been critical, frankly, all day long. So that kind of brings you up to date on, on the schedule to that point. We then had Conta and Vondrusheva coming out and playing their match on Simone Mathieu uh, and it went the way of the Czech, but it was hardly straightforward because Conta... Uh, we'll start with you, Catherine. I know Matt was watching Barty against Anissimova, so I really want to get his take on that match. But, Catherine, the, that was a big missed opportunity for Joe Conta today. Yeah, I'm afraid it was. Um, and I think she knows it as much as she was trying to, to reframe those words in a in a slightly more positive way. You know, the take-home message from from what she said after the match was, I'm well aware that I had a big opportunity and... and uh, and I missed it. You know, in, in crude terms, she had two set points in the first set and she had one absolute sitter of a swing volley, uh, a drive volley, uh, depending on which side of the Atlantic Atlantic you sit. Uh, and she hit it practically into the stands. And, and as she kept saying in press afterwards, it was the right shot to play. It was right to take it on and pluck it out of the air, given the wind and... Um, I'm sure she is right about that. It was simply the execution that let her down. And on the subsequent set point, the next point, she um, she sliced a backhand approach shot into the net. And that, again, it was a slightly less glaring ever, error, but it was very much uh, a nervous, unforced error and one that looked like it was provoked by rather stiff hands. And stiff hands were a bit of a feature of, of the match really look we know that volleying isn't um, Conta's great prowess particularly on the forehand side she's quite weak on the volley um, but she seemed to be wanting to hit a lot of drop shots I don't know if that was a tactic to sort of try and drop shot Von Drusheva the drop shot dragon before Von Drusheva the drop shot dragon could get her drop shot in I don't know but it certainly wasn't panning out particularly well for Joe Conta and, and sort of as things start stopped paying off for and as the tide sort of started to turn against her that's when the ground strokes started missing as well and the the backhand unforced errors started mounting up it wasn't a poor performance from Joe Conta she came out she won the first 10 points of the match in absolutely blistering fashion and all of a sudden everyone's thinking oh my god is Joe Conta just going to bulldoze her way yeah. into a grand slam final but um, yeah she had 5-3 in both sets um, and yeah, of course, a lot of credit goes to Von Drusha, but she herself referenced those two contra set points in the first set as a as a very significant gift in her direction, and things could definitely 
have been different, but but von Drusheva didn't blink. You know, when she was when she was approaching the finishing line in that second set, I was remembering <laughs> that double fault she hit when she was trying to serve it out in the quarterfinals against Petra Martic, mm. and it was the worst double fault I have seen since Law versus Whitaker. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> The worst. I think Matt saw that one as well. I mean, it was just dire. And uh, there there was no hint of that today. All she was doing was smiling. She was grinning her way around Court Simon Mathieu. It was incredible. That that was the thing that impressed me so much, is the fact that she lost those first 10 points. And and I thought the same. It looks like Conta is just middling the ball so well. She's timing the ball incredibly. And this could could be a steamroll job. And... um, but Von Drusheva didn't wilt. She didn't, you know, I think she probably was a bit shocked, but she just worked her way back into the, the match. And then eventually started to just take control. She was the equal of concert from the baseline. And then you bring in the guile and the touch and the, the, the craft on the court that she has. And, oh well, I mean, a winning advantage in both sets for Conta, as you said, two set points. It was almost quite useful for Von Drusheva to have the sort of nervous patch right at the beginning because then she was kind of able to shake that off, I kind of thought, rather than having it at the end just as she was trying to close victory. I think it would have been harder to overcome that. Um, but we were talking about Conta's sort of insistence on playing drop shots and her sort of heavy-handedness just got highlighted, didn't it, by the soft hands of Von Drusheva and... She is an absolute marvel. She, she, I mean, she, she's not dropped a set this tournament. I mean, it, it's absolutely no fluke that she's in the final. She has played by far and away, really. Conta was the only one close to her. The best tennis on that side of the mm. draw. Yeah. Um, Catherine, just going back to Conta in terms of this missed opportunity. Now, a lot of people may feel, oh, that's a bit harsh. You know, she's never won a match at Roland Garros in the main draw before. She's in the semifinals. It's good news, isn't it? And, and of course, it is It is good news. She's done a brilliant job. I thought she took it really well in, in the interview I saw you do with her afterwards. But at the same time, I remember saying about Tim Henman in 2004 when he just missed out in the semifinals that... And, and people were saying, well, you never know when this is going to come again. And others were saying, well, you know, maybe this is the platform. And he did go on to reach a U.S. Open semifinal, but he never got to a final. And, and here's Conta. She's reached a couple of semis now. Who knows whether she'll get another chance as good as this? She might not get another chance as good as this, but I think there's a, a decent chance that she'll get another chance, <laughs> if that okay. makes sense. Because in all honesty... After she had the the drop from the highs of two years ago when she reached the Wimbledon semi-finals, lost out to Venus Williams, I think I don't think I was alone in sort of speculating that maybe she'd okay. She had a initially she had a really big dip, and then she sort of um, the 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 dip the dip um, flattened out, I suppose, and 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 wasn't so severe, but. I I think I at the time thought maybe she had sort of um, reached her natural kind of ranking. Really, yeah. that 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 maybe the the semi-finals were were an anomaly, and actually, sort of thirty, forty in the world was was her natural was her natural place in in tennis. But so I think 
this is really significant for her. For me, it's as probably more significant than than the other two semi-finals. Maybe not than the first one because that was you know her completely announcing herself. Although she had had that run to to the fourth round in at the U.S. Open as as a qualifier the year before. So, but. This one is as big, if not bigger, for me because it it proves that those weren't anomalous, mm. and it proves that she can do it again. She was quite outspoken afterwards, wasn't she, about this scheduling issue? Bring us up to date with that. Yeah, unexpectedly so. Um, in all honesty, the, we were in the press conference. She she gave all her answers about. You know, being disappointed about those two set points, uh, about how well Von Drusheva played, and it was fairly standard Joe Conte affair, really. I thought she was speaking very eloquently. She had obviously um, gone to quite an effort to compose herself. I imagine she would have been extremely upset uh, in the immediate aftermath, and, and very understandably so. But she she really composed herself well, and then. She was asked the the question about the scheduling, and I expected her to to shy away from it and and not want the bother, frankly, given everything that must have been going on in her head. and And I think there was a a, a, a flicker where it did cross her mind to do that, to just say, "I, you know, I just don't want to talk about that right now." Um, and she didn't dive in head first, but she said uh, the initial things she said, which which were kind of bait to the journalists of course who then realised that she she did have an opinion to offer and went for it she said I think how it looked today speaks for itself and she's right it looked awful it looked every bit as as bad as I feared it would look yesterday I actually felt sadder about the situation seeing it actually play out than I did yesterday and I <laughs> felt pretty bad sad about it yesterday there were hardly anybody in the stadium really at the start I mean it was it was less than half full it it just it's a Grand Slam semi-final and it felt like a rainy first round match at a 500 um, and that's just a, a terrible terrible shame now yes they they got themselves into a terrible situation uh, as 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 i outlined the wta feel that they could have done something about it there and then but they just should never have been in that situation because selling those two uh men's matches on philip chatrier separately and and having to honor those two match tickets for 15,000 people twice over just got them into this situation i mean that 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 has to be, and in the words of Simon Briggs on Twitter just now, it has to be one of the all-time howlers of a, of a scheduling decision that we've ever come across. And, and I, would, yeah. I would vouch for that. Yeah, today was an absolute howler from start to finish in terms mm-hmm. of decision and it, decisions, and it started yesterday. What they did yesterday set the tone, and um, it was wrong. It was so what we were watching, you know, trying to follow the two matches simultaneously and not being able to give them uh, adequate attention seeing the seeing the crowds in for what were both fantastically entertaining matches was depressing hearing from some places the tropes about you know oh well you know I guess I guess the fact that there's nobody in watching these matches uh, justifies their decision because people would have been peeved to to have uh, had to had to watch this women's tennis instead of the men's tennis that they'd paid for well, no, there's nobody watching because <laughs> nobody was expecting there to be 
a women's semi-final on those two courts. He hadn't ticketed those two courts. It's a working day in Paris. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's flipping miserable. So you'd have to be a, a really big opportunistic tennis fan that is a big fan of sitting in the, the rain and cold and is able to take the day off work um, and is local all prepared prepared, and has the means to, to travel a long distance to be there. I mean, of course there was nobody watching. It was it was horrible. And um, she was asked about Amelie Moresmo's uh, comments last night saying it was it was a disgrace. I actually translated it and, and, uh, as, uh, as um, a shame on the tournament, um, her words in French. But she was asked about those words, Joe Conter, and she said... Well, she first of all said, look, I know you guys want, want headlines from me. I'm not oblivious to that. But then she said, I think more than anything, what is tiring and what is really unfortunate in this more than anything is that women have to sit. Athletes, female athletes have to sit in different positions and have to justify their scheduling or their involvement in event or their salary or their opportunities. And I think to give time to that is even more of a sad situation than what we found ourselves in today. I don't want to sit here and justify where I'm scheduled. That's not my job. My job is to come here and entertain people. I feel I did that. I feel I gave people who paid tickets every opportunity to enjoy their French Open experience. And if the organisers do not feel that that is something that can be promoted and celebrated, then I think it's the organisers you need to have a conversation with, not me. Because I did my job and I did my job well. And boy, those words are powerful, David. And so fantastically well put considering the emotional yeah. situation that that she was in in that press conference i was i was qu- quite blown away by uh by how well she expressed herself there it was quite something yeah, i agree now we mentioned those matches were going on at the same time it's one of the reasons aside from the fact that it, that we love having him on anyway but it's one of the reasons we've got matt on this particular show is because and we need to correspondent. properly be able to watch them all so uh matt you had arguably an even more dramatic match to watch with with swings all over the place. Tell us about Ash Barty against Amanda Enesimova. It was without doubt the craziest match I've seen in a long time. I, I gave up trying to understand what was happening and why it was happening, just sort of enjoyed it for what it was eventually because Barty came out five love lead in 15 minutes, won 20 of the first 23 points and... You had just tweeted, David, that you were regretting your Vondrusheva in straight sets prediction because Conta was ahead in that match. And I said, oh, well, at least you've got your Barty winning a Grand (laughs) Slam this year prediction because she is flying. There's no way she's losing this. And then 10 minutes later, she was 6-5 down. Um, The match just... And then the match just took on this sort of rhythm of players winning games in sort of bulk and then losing games in bulk and yeah so Anisimova got the first set back to 6-5 eventually won the tie break then raced out to a three love lead in the second set then Barty won the next six games to take it 6-3 then Anisimova went up a break in the final set and then Barty won the final set 6-3 and it was just this crazy match with dizzying momentum swings that you could not take your eyes off and it was a treat to watch I was going to say what what would you put those momentum swings down to was it inspirational play was it 
elements of nerves? Did did you feel like the wind got involved? What what was your sense? I think Anisimova was very tight at the start in a way that she just wasn't against Halep. It was the, the contrast was stark in terms of her demeanour and her confidence. Partly, I think, because Halep just gave Anisimova a much easier ball for her to hit, whereas Barty, with her slice and her spin, was kind of messing with Anisimova's head. Um, but then she started to find her range, and Anisimova had kind of had the match on her racket a bit if she was playing well because she had the greater power from the baseline. But then, I mean, the rest of the swings for Barty, I was a bit worried that she kind of went into her shell a little bit. I kind of thought this is a moment for her to seize, get into a first Grand Slam final. And she started to shrink and that worried me. But to her immense credit, she came through it. And again, just in the final set, used her experience, I think, more than Nisimova and used her slightly more clay court game. I know we... I know we're sort of slightly surprised that she's doing so well on clay, but the components of it, the kick serve, the top spinning forehand, they do they do suit the clay. And she she navigated that final set well once she went the breakdown. Mm. So Barty into the final against Vondrusheva. Catherine, you had a chance to speak to both players afterwards. Um, what were what was your sense of them as individuals and the way they sort of came out of those semis and what do you think is going to happen in the final tomorrow? Well, look, it's always difficult when uh, you're having to do pre-final press and you play that final the next day. So, look, they weren't, for obvious reasons, they weren't lingering <laughs> over anything because they didn't have time to linger. They need to set about um, preparing for, for the biggest match of their lives. I have to say, I still very much like, I'm still team Barty. I still really like her and respect her. But I suddenly do understand what Simon Briggs was on about yesterday <laughs> with her being brusque. I am revoking my uh, pitch idea to Eurosport if uh, Catherine Whitaker tries to become friends with Ash Barty. Because <laughs> I now feel certain that that mission would be a failure. Um, she, Not as cuddly as you is, thought. No, she is quite brusque. She's not the gal in that famous photo of her with the uh, with the trophy as a kid. Look, she she's she's precisely as Simon described last night, businesslike. She's she's incredibly polite. She um, she answers your questions briefly, <laughs> um, <laughs> but she's she's all business. And von Drusheva also gave very short answers um but more in a sort of uh, Barty's short answers were in a very controlled you know I'm only giving you what I want to give here and and not an inch more Von Drusheva's were just in a more sort of um teenage way almost she was sort of giggly and obviously just beside herself with happiness um she just sort of didn't know what to say she wasn't deliberately holding back it was just so alien to her the whole thing she just kind of didn't know didn't know what to say but very charming I mean Barty's still likeable but you know I'm I'm okay with not being friends with her <laughs> uh, you know I could imagine though that she probably is all of those things that you thought she might be but just with a small circle of yes. close personal friends you know which I absolutely respect. I'm the same. 99% of the people I meet, I am grumpy with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can vouch for that. Uh, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, that's the women's final. I, I want to know what you think about who who you're favouring to win it. Oh, crikey! Well, of course. Well, if, <laughs> help me, Matt. Of course, <laughs> of well, course. Well, Matt. The head says Barty, but yeah, it's and not I'm been interest- that kind of tournament, has it? And I'm interested in the fact that Von Drusheva hasn't played on Chetrier, whether that is going to have an impact, because I think I'm right in saying that a lot of people say that is a court you really have to adapt to. I'm, I'm sure I've heard teams speak about that, in that he prefers Longlem because it's more like a normal court, whereas the sort of, I think it's the depth behind the baseline on Chetrier is very different, and you almost get, it almost tempts you, I think, to stand further back because you think, oh, I've got all this space, I need to occupy it. Um, oh, is that what was going on with Alexander Zverev? <laughs> no, that was just Zverev. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I would, I would favour Barty, but isn't it great how these young players are doing so well in the women's tour this year? Courtney Nguyen pointed out that five of the seven biggest events this year have been won by players 23 or under. Osaka, Andreescu... Beng Shik, Barty already, and then either Barty or Vondrusheva here. It's, it's, it's so exciting that all these players are not only fun to watch, but winning things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Uh, it, it could be, I, I would be hopeful that we're in for a cracking match because of mm. that. The way they hit the ball is just, it's not one dimensional in any way, is it, from either player? The other thing is, I was looking through just before interviewing her. Uh, Matt, I was looking through um, the opponents that Barty's faced this tournament and she hasn't faced anybody anything like Marketa Vondrusheva. She's faced almost exclusively big power baseline hitters. I think, in fact, Joe Conta would have suited her a lot better as an opponent. She's had, uh, who she had? Well, Anison Mova, yeah. Madison Keys, Danielle yeah. Collins, I think, in round two. Yeah, uh, Kenin. Kenin, yeah. She's had... Um, baseline punches and, and counter punches. She hasn't faced anybody with Von Drusheva's variety, whereas Von Drusheva's faced all sorts. You know, she had that Savastava match, which was variety tastic. So I think preparation wise, I mean, maybe it's evened out by the whole Chatrier thing, which incidentally, Von Drusheva herself mentioned a lot. She kept saying how giddy with excitement she was about just being able to play on Chatrier for the first time. She said she'd never even sat in a seat on Chatrier before. She'd never walked inside the stadium, never <laughs> watched a ball struck Gosh. on that court. Yeah. And mm. and boy, I tell you what, if she loses um, and talks about it being difficult to adjust to playing on Chatrier, and I know that's a lot of ifs, but the, uh, the scheduling story is going to rear its head again. It is. Incidentally, head-to-head is 2-0 for Barty. She's won four sets, lost zero, but uh, one match in on grass in Birmingham two years ago, 7-5, 7-6, and then last year in Cincinnati, 6-3, 7-5. So none of the sets were, were particularly one-sided, um, but the head-to-head overall is. So we will see. We will see. That's all coming up tomorrow. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Now, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer walked out for episode 39 of their rivalry and just as they did so... The wind that Simon Briggs had been predicting was going to be arriving, and it was he was absolutely bang on the money, wasn't he? Because suddenly these gusts and this swirling wind came into Philippe Chatrier court. I, mean, I I've certainly never seen those two players play a match in wind like that before. The the, the clay and the the sand was just sweeping off the surface and into their eyes at times, and. Frankly, the rallies were, were, were comical. I, I, overall, they were quite. It was just quite disappointing because you 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 weren't seeing the typical type of match, and yet at the same time, it was really interesting and watching them try to deal with it. And Nadal ended up winning in straight sets. Yeah, I thought to begin with the conditions were just wreaking havoc. I thought we were going to break the the record for the number of shanks and I think I messaged you both and said this has potential to be the worst <laughs> Federer and Nadal match of all time because yeah PS ha- wasn't my prediction great <laughs> well I mean that was kind of just based on the fact that what you were saying about and Nadal being such a good win player and if this wind is coming I've not seen anything to suggest that Federer has made up the ground on clay against Nadal and Actually, for all the talk of Federer's backhand being improved, Nadal's backhand today was extraordinary at times. Especially he that first up. set point. Yeah, I mean, just a joke, the angle cross-court that he got on it. And I thought in the second set, they both started to slightly adapt to the conditions. And there were, there were some brilliant rallies for about a 
two or three game period towards the end of the second set where they were kind of using the wind but essentially it was a it was a match with three players because the wind was just having such an impact and it was almost impossible to win a game when they were playing against the wind with the wind they were both kind of fine but it was just so lopsided in terms of what was easy to what side was easy to play down and it just didn't make for a great spectacle really no a bizarre one and actually a lot of the time certainly in the first set it was far from full i mean it was it was really weird watching a stadium that wasn't full I, for for those two players i don't think it was completely full at any stage of that match and i i don't know why mm. <laughs> i i I'm at a complete loss. I know we know full well that they sold all those tickets. We know that, you know, every single ticket holder would have been pleased to f- to find out that those tickets turned out to be for Federer Nadal episode number thirty nine. Where were they all? I, mm. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, in in terms of the match itself, uh, halfway through certainly the second set I got the sense that Federer just decided as you said Matt to start trying to use the wind and not not just hit the ball and and play his typical type of tennis because it wasn't going to work and and the mind went back to the 2005 US Open final when he played Agassi and he 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 had really difficult crosswinds to deal with and he just stayed away from the lines he just went down the middle of the court a lot and came in knocked off volleys um but you got the sense of just what it must be like trying to beat Nadal in this match, probably more than any other, because he he tried everything. He threw everything at him. He hit the big back end. He, I think Federer played pretty well. And yet, every time that it mattered, Nadal had the answer, Matt. Yeah, and every time Federer raised his level, Nadal just raised it about two notches higher, That a level he's got on clay that Federer has never had and still doesn't have um even though he he played pretty well himself but Nadal he just gives you nothing and he kind of embraces the wind if you like he he doesn't see it as a problem I'm sure we'll get on to Djokovic who does but Nadal just thinks right okay this actually I can make this suit my game I can apply more spin and more margin for error I can I can take the ball a bit later and not get my footwork correct and he was superb today Nadal I thought as as much as it was a difficult match to kind of judge because of the wind everything I saw from Nadal I thought was really really impressive mm, it, was, it was and actually just going back to the attitude towards the wind and the conditions his acceptance of them mm. his ability to compartmentalize and just go point to point settle himself down and forget all about the frustrations there is nobody else like it. I mean, Federer is not far behind, although he did have a warning for ball abuse. He knocked a ball out of the stadium. There was a very, quite an amusing sight of a spectator <laughs> in the front row who just flinched when he when he was about to knock this ball out of the stadium and he knocked his own hat off in the process. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's rare that you see an outward uh, display of frustration quite like that and anger with Federer, but that's what he was driven to. He He... He did a very good job overall of dealing with the frustration of the match and the win, but there is nobody like Nadal in that regard. Although I have to say, Catherine, Dominic Team 
isn't that far behind him the way he went about his business today they are level now Djokovic and team team won the first set 6-2 Djokovic won the second 6-3 team has a break in the third set for 3-1 and then they came off for for bad conditions and then it was all called off we'll get onto that in a minute because that seems now utterly bizarre but Dominic team he had a bit of Nadal about him today the way he was just going point to point didn't you think yeah, yeah, and I was I, before the match. I was I was trying to think whether I'd ever seen team play in extreme wind, um, and I couldn't think of any specific examples. But I did just sort of somehow have a feeling, maybe based on um, recollections of how Stanford Brinker has played in the wind before. And actually, you'd sort of think that a single-handed backhand. Um, a shot which is generally more reliant on timing than a than a double-handed backhand. I think. I hope I'm not speaking beyond my my technical brief, but you'd think that that would would suffer more um, in the wind. But Stan Wawrinka is a is a very good wind player. He just has enough beef on his shots to hit through it. And it turns out Dominic Team is exactly the same. And he's so utterly professional and unassuming that he just took it as as part of the gig today you know is sort of he walked out there and said oh some days are easier than others and this is just going to be one of those not so easy days or maybe he maybe he thought well you know this is this is advantage me because I know that Djokovic being a contact lens wearer <laughs> doesn't <laughs> like playing in the wind I tell you what I was right in what I said to Simon yesterday. For con- I've seen, I've seen so many eye drops around <laughs> being passed around Roland Garros today. It has been an absolute nightmare from that perspective. I mean, yeah. maybe that's why a lot of people went in their went in their seats for the matches because <laughs> their their vision was too blurred to watch. It, I, it, it was. I, I would think it's been that. the most weird day. Yeah, and pl- pretty unpleasant. I don't care what match you got in front of you. It wouldn't have been a whole lot of fun to be in that stadium today with the the dust flying around off the top of the surface and all the rest of it. Um, on the subject of Djokovic, he was the complete opposite in terms of his body language. From point one, even when he was hitting his first serve and trying to let the wind die down before he hit his first serve, he, he looked irritated by everything. And... It took him more than a set to accept the conditions in any way. And eventually, in the second set, he seemed to just block it out a little and start to time the ball. But he was he was grunting in that way down the near end of the court, as, as the TV camera looks at it, when he's against the wind. He was grunting in that way where it's just all a struggle. And he kind of, I almost got the sense he kind of wanted to let everybody know how annoying it all is. And... Mm. That was playing into teams' hands. I think I think Djokovic produced a bit of a masterclass in the second set to to turn it around and win that set with his kind of court smarts and his and his underrated racket ability. Because we don't often think of him as that sort of player, but I think it's come with twelve, thirteen years of experience that ability to play a different way, and he did a decent job of that. But the fact is. The moment that the rain started up a little bit or the wind got it, I mean, he was complaining to the umpire about the wind and asking really whether they should be on the court. He was asking that after about two games. And the moment that he had a chance to leave the court each time, he was off. He was not enjoying that at all out there today, Catherine. Well, yeah, I mean, I suspect I agree with you about the turnaround. It was amazing. It was breathtaking how he how he changed things up and adapted. And I was sort of thinking, well, if you're... If you're capable of doing all of that, why weren't you just 
knuckling down and doing it in the first set and showing us, you know, all these brilliant things that you can do. I suspect that Marion Vida deserves an assist for that turnaround in the second set because it came subsequent to to a short rain delay and you're you're allowed to see your coach um, in a rain delay. Uh, and, yeah, I, I can't believe that Marion Vida didn't play a role in that, whether it be mental or tactical or whatever. Um you know, he's not the first person player to be uh, to be transformed by a, a, a rain delay or a chat with a coach in a in a rain delay. All the rest of it, but it it was sensational. And then I was, and then I was again taken aback by how he sort of reverted a bit uh, at the start of the third set. Although a lot of a lot of credit goes to to Dominic Team for just just digging his heels in and sort of beefing it out. He's suddenly a Beefy. Do you know what he is, David? He's suddenly a very agricultural tennis player. <laughs> Just what I was thinking, Catherine. And, uh, and and I would also say it, it again goes back to my view of his row over the Serena uh, situation in the interview room. He's just he's not having it. He's not going to be pushed around any longer. It doesn't matter who it's by. And now well, he might, you know, he might not end up winning. Get, except that he has been pushed around. I mean, he hasn't done a press conference yet because the match hasn't finished. So I suspect he might have a few things to say about it. But um, so we had the first rain delay. They come back out. Djokovic turns it around, takes the second set. And then team fights back in in the third, takes a a 3-1 lead. And then uh, it starts to spit and spot with rain again. No more dramatic than several um, spells of spitting and spotting with rain that, that we've seen. And Djokovic, I think, from what I saw, um, I was watching the court feed, um, which, of course, is cutting from camera to camera, so I didn't see every single shot from every single angle. But what I saw was Djokovic not even checking with the umpire, just going straight to his bag and marching off court. And Dominic Team was standing there <laughs> looking completely bemused um, and having it out with the umpire a bit, but also looking accepting of the fact that he would be unable to proceed with this tennis match without an opponent. Mm. Um, so then they yeah. march off court. The, yeah, I mean, that was what I saw, Matt. What did you see? Yeah, I, I saw exactly the same thing. And I was, I was just wondering, why does the wind bother Djokovic so much? And clearly it does, and clearly it's in his head and on his mind. But A, I find it weird that he, that he lets it get to him so much. Because we've seen him be so mentally strong in so many situations. Just what is it about the wind? He, it's like he feels there's some sort of terrible injustice against him. And then I, I was thinking of sort of technical reasons. And it, it just occurred to me that everything that we think of Djokovic as being so great at, sort of anticipation, movement, getting in the right place, sort of turning the pow- power back on his opponent, are all things that do get nullified by the wind because he could have sets really early for the ball and then suddenly the wind deviates it and he's and he's almost having to stretch for it right at the last minute and he as you said David he gives out that grunt that oh this is a this is a huge struggle he wants everyone and, and, to know and, and this is ridiculous what are we doing out here is that grunt yeah <laughs> and uh, I also think there's a there's a huge mental element to it Matt I mean I think 
all I can speak from is my experience of this. Look, at my measly, measly level of tennis, I hate playing in the wind so much. I mean, same. there could be, you know, level one winds and I will say, oh, do you know what? <laughs> let's, let's cancel the plans. I cannot bear it. And I, I, think it's, I think it's a control freak thing because I like feeling in control of whether I play well or badly. But knowing that I could go out there and... And it just feel completely out of my control, completely beyond my brilliant powers of shot making, as witnessed <laughs> by David Law circa eight years ago. Um, I can't, I can't stand it. I can't get any enjoyment from it. So, you know, obviously we're translating from lowest possible level of tennis to highest possible level of tennis. But you know, it's the mind still working in the same way, isn't it? Um, so maybe maybe that's a factor. And we, we we then went from there to them coming off the court. I, I was watching the studio of Eurosport with Annabelle Croft um, and and Matt Smith. And then the next thing you knew was they said, "I don't believe this. They've called it all off." And this was I, I can't remember what time that would have been. Um, can you remember? I I think it was about twenty past six. Yeah, and I mean at that, at that time, in fact, was, maybe a bit before no, that, maybe about. Uh, I think actually a little bit before that because okay. I well, went to no see if the canteen was open and it wasn't because it was 10 to 6 and then I think yeah. it was about I mean, 10 it, minutes it, after it, that. It was still windy, it wasn't raining but we're sort of assuming, I'm kind of thinking okay well they must know because I've seen this a few times where they call it off early and you end up getting this uh, apocalyptic rainstorm and you think oh well that was a good good decision. Now for the next hour it was blue skies and sunny and yes, it was windy, but it was sunny. And Jim Courier over on ITV absolutely couldn't understand what was going on. And he, he was he was aghast that they'd taken them off. He said it was a terrible decision. He, he didn't know the reasons yet, but he felt it was a terrible decision. Then rumours started to go around that, uh, and, and word was, was out there that Djokovic had got into a car and left. And people started to speculate that he had made that decision himself to just leave without being told that they could go. That has been subsequently uh, disproved or refuted at the very least. Chris Clary was reporting that he'd, he'd asked about that and, and been assured by the officials that they had told the players that they could go and that there was no, no suggestion that Djokovic had taken that particular matter into his own hands, although it obviously does favour him to come back tomorrow with calmer conditions, there's no question. But regardless, the, that is a terrible, terrible decision because they had, a, I think, an hour and 20 minutes until it started raining that they could have continued playing and, and arguably finished that match. And you do wonder tomorrow whether Dominic Team 2019 Catherine, who a guy who doesn't mind saying his mind, if he doesn't win tomorrow, you know, he could feel pretty aggrieved. Possibly even if he does win, David. I'm already, I feel like going back to Roland Garros and uh, placing a reserved sign on one of the seats in the press conference room for, <laughs> for his press conference because I, I love, uh, I love aggro Dominic team. <laughs> Because he does, he does aggro so politely, um, mm. and I cannot believe he's not going to express himself tomorrow. Either way, win or lose, and if he loses, yeah. then you know, put up some sort of um, <laughs> um, aggro-proof glass between Dominic Team and and uh, the journalists in the room. Because I think it could be, 
I think it could be quite spicy, really, and rightly so. Rightly so. Uh, I mean, mm. it is it is ludicrous what's happened tonight. I've heard no explanation from the FFT on their decision making. As I say, I'm sitting here. We could still be playing now. It's it's extremely bright. Likewise, look, they're horrible conditions. It's filthy windy. I I don't want to be playing tennis in them, but I believe the what rules there are on on wind state that it's only if it's a, a danger. Um, danger to to the players or the the fans that that play can be called off for for wind conditions and as far as I can tell that wasn't the case and isn't the case right now it's just horrible <laughs> and difficult. That, and what, what what we've ended up with, Matt, is a second Grand Slam inside a year where the men's semi final comes back on the day of the final of the women's final as we had at Wimbledon. And we now have, is it, is it the men's semi will resume at 12 o'clock local time and then the women are due to start at 3 o'clock, but that's only assuming that the men's semi has finished by that point. So effectively yeah. you could have one running into the other and they're both on the same court. So effectively the women have got a not before start time, which is deeply unsatisfactory. It's, it's a huge mess. This is, this is the biggest match of both players' lives, and they don't know when they're starting it. It's yeah. it's a huge mess, and it's happened. We you know we should have learned from that last year, and we just haven't. And I know that weather and rain and scheduling is difficult, but you should not be putting the women, and it's always the women because they have to go first on the Saturday. And why do they have to go well, first exactly, on Saturday? Why do we always have the women's final yeah, Saturday and, and the men's final Sunday it, and it happens everywhere? Why? I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's wrong. And it's, it's left them not knowing when they're going to start. I mean, can you imagine that happening in another sport? Oh, you know, the World Cup final. Yeah, well, we might start at three, but equally <laughs> it might be at half three. It might be at four. It's, it's silly. And what we were talking about with team... What he said the other day, you know, he, he said after he was moved from the interview room, he said, what the hell, it's a joke. And... Oh, do it in the accent, Matt. Come on. Um, well, you, Catherine. Yeah, you do it quickly. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it's a joke. And he, he, in the same way that Murray last year summed up the US Open in one line when he said nobody knows the effing rules <laughs> during the Vadasco <laughs> match that then sort of foreshadowed the women's final well team has done that here because I'm sorry but it's amateur hour with with the decisions <laughs> that are being made um, it, I mean I I left Roland Garros tonight incidentally uh, the Women's World Cup final uh, the, the Women's World Cup has started just around the corner from Roland Garros and so <laughs> you, I was sort of fleeing Roland fleeing the absolute circus that was Roland Garros hoping to find the refuge of a taxi and uh, and and uh, and and a hotel and what I found was just streets full of armed policemen <laughs> preventing any taxis from coming anywhere near Roland Garros <laughs> and preventing anyone from doing anything like getting back to the sanity of, of a hotel room. It was all just so appropriately manic and awful. 
<laughs> even on the exterior oh of Roland Garros. But uh, but yeah, I was I was leaving among a sea of uh, of ticket buyers for for the second session on Chatrier, and they were utterly bemused. Now I understand they are being given a refund, which I find absolutely hilarious i feel like the tennis gods <laughs> have really put a plague on the house of uh, the house of roland garros today for for yeah for all sorts of things but i mean it, it, yeah it's hilarious that yesterday the the preservation of of everything those ticket buyers had dreamed of was the ultimate goal and the preservation of the money that had been earned by the FFT um, by selling those uh, two separate sessions was was a priority above anything else, including what's right, in my view. And today, <laughs> half of those ticket buyers have left absolutely incensed and the FFT have uh, had to refund half of their revenue for the day. So it's not gone well. No. Uh, right, before we sign off, because we've got about 20 minutes over what I'm supposed to go, but it's, there's just so much to talk about. It's too, it's too interesting. Um, do Have either of you changed your mind now about who you think will win tomorrow based on the fact that we're coming back tomorrow for this men's resumption? Oh, have I changed my... Can I just check the weather forecast for tomorrow, David? Go on then. Uh, well, Matt, well, Matt, what do you well think? Matt does his almost certain to be correct prediction. <laughs> not at you all. You change your mind. You um, don't change hang your on, mind. you both. You you're you're both two and O today. One and O apiece. Yeah, I mean, I thought Djokovic would cope better in the win than he did. So I was kind of still picking Djokovic today. But if it's if it's not as windy tomorrow, then I would I would still expect Djokovic to turn it around tomorrow. Yes. Hmm. So Catherine. <sighs> I tell you what, this is going to be the biggest test mentally of Dominic team that we've ever seen because he needs to come out and treat it as a brand new match and not think what could have been yesterday. Mm. Um, and that's that's that is a tough, tough ask. Um, oh, I love this song. Um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be sunny tomorrow, sunny with clouds, and then back to being pouring with rain on Sunday. What a bonkers week it's been, um, hasn't it? It's just so bizarre. And uh, now I'm yeah hearing the uh hearing uh, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper sing to me as I make right. predictions. Okay, Catherine, um, I'm going team. To I'm going for team. I'm, I, I'm going for team. I'm sticking with team. I think he's up okay. to it now. I think he's right. think he's a different guy mentally. Well, we'll now. find out. We'll find out. Okay, Catherine, go and rest up. Go and have Hang some on. gin and tonics. You haven't you, predicted. Oh, I'm sticking with Do- Djokovic. I'm not changing my mind. Oh yeah, you've got him winning the tournament. Yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> So there we are. Uh, I'm not changing anything. How do, how, so, do you feel, how do you feel about that after what Nadal did today? Well, I still feel the same because I think, I mean, look, if, if it's windy, if it's a windy final, then yes, Nadal will, will probably win. But I still will not be able to remove the last best of five set match these two played from my mind until I see something different. Uh, and that's okay. the Australian Open final. So, you know, if the conditions were like they are today, I mean, Nadal would probably win in straight sets. But if it's if it's all other things equal, then I would still go Djokovic just because of, of what I know he's, he has done to Nadal previously, albeit not on this surface at Roland Garros, apart from that one year when Nadal was a shadow of himself. So, Well, I'll tell you, you know, what, David, the forecast for Sunday through to Thursday in Paris is for solid rain. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right. So next week, 
Next sun, next so Saturday you know how is I'm when the men's final. Queens next week. Yeah. Can we? Can we? Just. I mean, what are they going to do? Just imagine if it know. just rained for four days solid. Imagine <laughs> if it did. Crikey. Do you think they would share it? Do you think that? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. Right, look, I've got to go. I've got to go and have some dinner. So, uh, go and have a cheese board. And uh, Matt, go and get your head down. Uh, you've got matches to watch tomorrow. We've been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph and executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our uh, mascot Rio with a Y. We are the Tennis Podcast, and you must tell your friends and your followers on Twitter and social media and everybody you know uh, in order to listen to us, if you wouldn't mind, because we want to grow the audience, spread the word. Leave us a review on iTunes. Tell everybody if you like this show and we'll be back with another one of them tomorrow. Bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.